Okay, we were just uh, mentioning. Um, again, we'll read that because it does have to go with what God was putting on my heart. And of course, if he puts it on my heart, isn't it all of ours together? And of course it is, eh? But there was a certain individual here, his initials were uh, Jadiel Martinez. I asked him about a verse, or something that was on his heart, and he, he spoke about Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And again, heart here is lay, but it means your mind. And as long as our minds uh, think those thoughts, and the thoughts that God would give us would be only grace, because that's he can only do that, because none of us deserve him in ourselves, but yet he acts according to himself, and that's love. But for him to love those that don't deserve it, he gives us grace. <laughs> and he gives us his unmerited, unearned, undeserved uh, kindness and favor uh, with those thoughts, with his thoughts that become ours and that sets us free. So, but that word trust we mentioned the other morning is batak, B-A-T-A-C-H. And, 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 and in time, we make these adjustments. We said this morning that we would be no different as believers in Christ, those that are born again and in Christ. We would be no different and we would function no different even than the unsaved, apart from the grace that he would give us. We wouldn't be able to make a single adjustment apart from grace in this place where we're in time on the earth. So trust here, it always speaks of the breaking of something that has been attached to us. So we, the enemy, through his subtlety, and we, we shared that the other, the other day or sometime last week, don't remember exactly when, but we, we shared how in Genesis 3.1, even at the beginning of, of the creation and the beginning of the first temptation, and we need to keep in mind that God never, te- he never tempts us with evil in James 1.13. God can, cannot be tempted with evil, neither he tempts any man. But he does test the dependence that we have in him. And, boy, and the test is always to increase it, always to increase dependence. And then we have the increase of a continual freedom that we have in Christ in Galatians 5, verse 1. But in, Gen- in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was, was more subtle than any beast of the field. In other words, this is what Satan was using. He was using the most beautiful creation of God, just like he'll do with any of us. And that's why... God's creation is awesome. And as long as we have the creator controlling us, we enjoy properly that that he created. But if our will isn't submitted to him and we don't make these proper adjustments from self-reliance even upon God's creation and go after it, apart from God, then isn't that something that the enemy would use And he would even use it to cause distance between us and God. But we, it, so that was the instrument that he used. He used the most beautiful animal that God could create. It was absolutely beautiful. 
but he was more subtle. And then, of course, he gets, he gets Eve into an argument, subtly. And that's what he does with us apart from grace in our proper experience. We get into arguments with God about our circumstances, about our situations, and that's hupomone. Or macrothumia, we can't bear up when negative, nasty people come against us. And if we don't have that grace that causes the adjustment, right, then, then we don't bear up and we give in to the evil and then we end up trying to fight it. And that's where, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, especially in 4, love is what? It's patient. And as a result, it's always kind, meaning God will always give me the kindness of his love and grace through a submitted will no matter what the circumstances, situations are, and no matter who the evil people that come against us, it won't touch us. And so we know here the enemy is very, very subtle. And so he gets, he gets Eve into a conversation with him. And he says to her, hasn't God said you will not eat of the tree of the garden. And of course, that's true. But, he, but she is getting into a conversation with some who is, who away from God, who away from her head and away from God is far more subtle and is so, has, he has such evil genius that she's no match and neither are we apart from submitting to him. That's why submitting to Christ. That's why it says in, John, in James 4 verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives more grace, greater degrees of grace, to the humble. And then it says, therefore submit yourself, in James 4, verse 7, therefore submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. How do, how do we resist it? With the grace that he gives us to make an adjustment, and the adjustment happens, as we read in Proverbs 3, verse 5, where he has to break the, that that has become attached to our will. That's not of him. And when we submit to him, he breaks what has become attached to our will, bad thoughts, uh, circumstances, situations, and nasty, evil people coming against us. Those things become our guide apart from the grace that he gives us. And then we end up in a battle with those things, but really is the battle against uh, blood and flesh. Is it in Ephesians 6, 12? And it's not. And she was getting into a battle with these questions and these things. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You will not eat of it, neither will you touch it, lest you die, lest you experience separation. That's why he said in Genesis 2.17, If you do eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, apart from Christ, apart from obedience. Here, you can have all these other trees, all of them. Just don't eat this one. That's the test. Just don't. Just don't eat that. Don't eat of that one. And lest you die. So in, in the Hebrew, in Genesis 2.17, it says in dying, being separated from God spiritually, and that's what death is. It's never extinction. It's just separation. 
So in, in dying, being separated from him, you will die physically. Thank God for us in Christ. In Ecclesiastes 7.1, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth because we've been born again and we're headed to be with him. But then in response to what, to what Eve not only said, but began to add to the word of God, The serpent said unto the woman, you will not surely die. For, for God knows that in the day, that specific time that you eat, eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you will be as God's, knowing good and evil. He told her that was the truth. She would know good and evil. And the enemy convinces us, up, apart from grace, and apart from who we are in Christ through submission of the will, he, he tells us, yeah, you can know good and evil, and he does. The only thing he didn't say to Eve is, the only way you'll know it is through guilt and condemnation and total ruin. That's the only way. And that's the same way for us. So we, we know that the enemy was very subtle. And that's why it's so important in Proverbs 3, 5, to trust in the Lord with what? With all your mind. That means... Whatever you think, okay, if it's not right, and we are growing in 2 Peter 3.18, if it's not right, what should we do? We should submit our will to the Word, which is God's will. Then we have His will through the Word attached to our will. That's what Bartok means in Proverbs 3.5. He breaks that that we've been attached to, and then attaches and then replaces himself in that area. And that's pretty awesome that, that, in that growth that we have. So trust in the Lord. Why? Why does it say Lord there? Because he's sovereign and he is above what? Everything and everybody. Everything. And that is our position. Our position in Christ in Song of Solomon 4 verse 7 is we're all fair. We're all ex exquisitely beautiful. There's no spot in you. There's not a spot in you. You think the enemy tries to convince us of that? Through his subtlety? That we can determine who we are? Like we can make a determination in a fallen, ruined state. That's the flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of. And so, thank God through this process of growing in grace making these adjustments to proper knowledge in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, that he has this process of breaking these things in our experience because it's not who we are in our position. So we're to trust in the Lord with all of our mind. And, and then what will be the result? We will not lean unto our what? Own understanding. What is our own understanding? We, the Lord brought it out to us this morning, just previously. The only way we can know good and evil is in a ruined, guilty, huh? guilty, condemned experience. And then comes in the legalism of the flesh. You're going to try and do something as a believer that Christ has already done. And so, not to lean onto your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge who? Him, constantly. And then as a result, he'll, he'll direct what? Your paths. This has to do with thinking properly. 
thinking properly. So when you see paths, he will direct your paths. Again, this is what the psalmist was going into here in, in Psalm 16. And look at the progression of that. These, this is the experience, a proper experience through, through a proper thought that God gives us when we submit our will to his grace. But to do that, he must first humble us. That's the first stage of him breaking us, is humility. We said it, and God brought it out in, in James 4, verse 6 through 10, and then in 1 Peter 5, 5, sub, you younger submit yourselves to the elder, that's God's order, and then humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God in 1 Peter 5, 6, that he may exalt you in the time where he knows that he can do that, where that place will be where he's glorified, but you'll actually be blessed, separated from the flesh. But in Psalm 16, this is what it says here. The psalmist says, Preserve me, O God, for in you do I put my what? I am not trusting my own thinking apart from God, apart from his word, apart from who I am in Christ, and apart from, from God's will. And literally, God's who fulfilled God's will in John 4, verse 34, who finished the work in John 17, in verse 4, who finished it and manifested the reality of it in John 19, verse 30, where Christ did finish the work, something that you and I couldn't even begin to do. He did already. That's what makes it necessary for us to submit our will to him in this growth in time so that we manifest a proper position, not only to ourselves, but we become a light to others. So preserve me, and he will, if and in you do I put my trust. O my soul, you have said unto the Lord, you are my what? You are sovereign and in control of every single thing about me and about my life, my circumstances, everything. And it's based upon my position. And my position is something that was in the eternal mind of God, but through Christ coming into time has become when I submit to the reality of what he did, a proper experience. So, oh, my soul, my self-conscious self, you want to you wanna see how the psalmist starts to instruct his soul about the spiritual realities of who he is in Christ. Then you can, you can read Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Well, because you're not thinking according to your proper position in Christ. Your experience is not equal to the position because you need to have that yoke. You need to be yoked up. And this will be the result of the yoke, us being yoked, and that means my will submitted to him. We see that again in Proverbs, the third chapter, in conjunction with and in reality with Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, we say, oh, my soul, you have said unto the Lord, you are my Lord. You are in control. And what is the lie? No, you're in control. You're to be in control. It's to be, listen, it's your thoughts. You know, it's very interesting. The, you know, the liar, the one who, where all lies come from, Satan in John 8, verse 44. He 
in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He was perfect. He was complete in all his ways of obeying Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, till iniquity was found in him. And iniquity, again, is me, through the enemy, making a provision for my will, not God. It's my will, apart from God, is to exalt me and not Christ. And what is that? That's pride. And that's what got him kicked out of heaven and, and brought him from where he was receiving the light that Christ is in his own beauty and where he was Lucifer, the son of the morning, brilliant light, and who, who became Satan, the adversary and opponent of God and especially the adversary and opponent of those that are in Christ, you and I. So he said, you are my Lord, my goodness. My goodness is who? Who is our goodness? Do you remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Matthew 18, 18, 19, and, and in Luke 19, 17, I think I'm mixing those up. It's Matthew 19, 17, and 18, and Luke 18, and 19, where he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to have that, to have it positionally so I can experience it. And he said to Jesus, he said, what must I do, good master? In other words, he was lowering Christ. That's what we do apart from our will submitted. We lower Christ. We put him on an equal plane with us. There's where all these lustly, fleshly desires and prayers even come from. Because <laughs> we lower him to a place of a place where somehow there's good in me and he's gonna he's going to and that's deception right like there's any goodness and like he's going to meet a particular need that we think we know and then we want him to meet right no wonder he's lord and he's above all no wonder we need the yoke no wonder constantly we need to be yoked up to him so that those fiery missiles from hell in Ephesians 6:16 those thoughts and sometimes, you know, he, the way that the enemy brings him, he brings him in, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen as an angel of light. This is really good. But is it? <laughs> is it? And we become consumed with, yeah, this is good, but is it? And if he's not in control of us and our wills aren't submitted, then what? <laughs> we live in deception. For the Christian now, he deceives the whole world in Revelation 12, 9. He just got them deceived. There's no God. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 53, 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart and in his mind, there is no God. No God. Really, he's saying no. <laughs> no God. Really. That's the whole way. They're deceived. But he deceives a Christian. And the reason he deceives the Christian solely is so he can accuse them in Revelation 12, 10. So he gives us all these lying thoughts. And in the flesh, we'll submit to them. Then how do we make the adjustment? Oh, boy. Just so he can accuse us. He'll give us the lies of what sin can do and things can do apart from, uh, apart from submitting to God through Christ. Just long enough so that they fail. And when we fail in them, he accuses us. So important to be yoked up to him. 
You know, because his love protects us. He, it, it does. It protects us from him, and it protects him, and it keeps him out from us. And this is what it says here. But my goodness extends not to you. Not just the goodness that we have when we submit our will. It's not only it glorifies God, but it not only blesses us, but look what it says, but to the saints that are in the earth. Now it's, we're living not just for ourselves anymore. Our life is just not about us and what we think. and It's about the whole body of Christ, isn't it? And what a way to live free, right? But to the excellent, who's the excellent? Okay, who's the excellent one? Who's the one that no one can excel? That's what it means, the Lord is sovereign. No one can excel him. But yet are we, not based upon ourselves, but based upon being placed in him in our position in him, Excellent. Yes. To the excellent in whom is all my delight. What is that saying? That my proper experience, based upon my position, with a will submitted, with that yoke, we experience the delight that God has in Christ just as much as he has in us because we're in him and he's in us. In whom is all my delight. That's why it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Does that have to do with a proper experience being loved just like our Savior? Yes. And in that delight, now in that proper place, he gives us the desires of our heart so that we don't live in the false ones. And we know that Hope deferred, and he has to do that in Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred, those things that we want. And, uh, hope deferred, put off, stretched, makes the heart sick. The only reason we would ever get sick is because the desires aren't right yet. But he has to stretch the capacity. And you know, because he always does in Ephesians 3.20, exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. The enemy wants to cause us to think way below what God has for us and be satisfied enough with just this. When God is stretching our capacity, and he has to, because it's so huge, it's so incredible. And when he stretches my capacity, it's not just, it is for his glory, but it's not just for my blessing. It's for the blessing of even the local assembly where we are. And in that sense, it's the same for any local assembly because we're all one in Christ. Their sorrows will be multiplied that hasten after what? Another God. What's the other God that we only, who, who's a liar, right? Satan. We hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names upon my lips. Why? Here's the reality. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Notice that? They, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. We have that inheritance. You see that in Romans 8, verse 17. He is our inheritance. We have inherited him as our inheritance. And so the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. And that's a wonderful thing to, to consider here. The Lord is, is what? He is. He is my part here. He's my only part here on this earth. 
And of my cup, and what is cup here? It's capacity. Okay? My, cu- my cup, David said. Because, because look how Psalm 23 start, starts out. The Lord, my shepherd. I don't lack a single thing. Matter of fact, when, my, when I submit to him, he who is my part, who is my capacity and my position, when he is, that overflows in my experience and my cup overflows. Why did it overflow? Why does it overflow? Because yes, of course, of course, first and foremost, it's to glorify Christ. It's to bless me, but I, he's to make me such a blessing that it overflows to others. My life is way more than just about me. And when it's that way, we live so free. We live carefree. Because we cast in 1 Peter 5, 7 all our anxiety, all those cares, all those anxious thoughts upon him. And when we do, when we give that, our anxious thoughts to him, he pours in his peace in our hearts. Great exchange, isn't it? (laughs) And so it says this, the Lord is my inheritance and of my cup. My cup is equal to my inheritance. And my inheritance is equal to my cup. And guess who maintains both? It's the same as my lot. What is my lot here when I think properly? My God, all the riches, all the understanding and riches are hid in him in Colossians 2, verse 3. And how does he make it right in our experience, make it real? Through our hearts in Colossians 2, 2, being knit together. See? He's knitting the body together. And that's what he's doing. And then it says this, the lines are fallen out unto me in pleasant places. Those lines speak of proper thinking. A proper thinking based upon a proper position that gives us a proper experience. The lines, what is this? We only think in this. We only think in Christ. We only have God's view of things, not our own. We constantly submit ourselves to him. And constantly we live in the freedom that is ours in our position, but now it enters into the experience when we submit to him. So the lines are falling out unto me in what? Ah, beautiful, pleasant places. Yea, the truth is, yes, I truly do have a goodly heritage. That's Christ. Then verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. He gives me counsel in the daytime, and I take the word in. I don't just hear it, I submit to it. I meditate on it, and I can meditate on him and do other things. Constantly. Constantly, no matter where I am, I can with a submitted will. And when I take that will, when I take that word in through a submitted will in the daytime, my reins... Also instruct me in the night seasons. That's what, it, that's what he's doing. What keeps us sleep? All of us experience this. What keeps in, in, in interrupted sleep or rest? What keeps out that rapid eye movement, that deep sleep, is thoughts that aren't his. So in the process of that, we may be thinking those thoughts that aren't his that the enemy has projected. Somehow the shield wasn't held up. In Ephesians 16, all those truths about the person and the accomplishment of his work for us as individuals. And somehow during the day we let the shield down. (laughs) And in come the fiery thought 
that would consume us. And then we would go to bed at night. And uh, if we did, and, and if we didn't get right about it, he still doesn't condemn us, but he's waiting to be gracious. And how many times have I woken up in the morning, restless night through thoughts, and then right away in the morning, his word is right there waiting to be gracious to us. But what it says here is, is that our rains also instruct us in the night season. I take the word in. I, he was my trust. I trusted in him. I didn't resist him. I had these two thoughts this morning. We either submit to him or we resist him. There's no in-between. Now that can happen in, in rebelliously, and we see that in 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. Rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness, that's an unsubmitted will, held on to that pride, is idolatry. We make, And the enemy wants to make our own minds apart from Christ to be the idol where we worship him. If you think we're worshiping ourselves, we're not. There's no question about that. But it says, I will bless the Lord who has given me this counsel from his word. And, and I take it in in the daytime, my reins, right? My reins, and this is a metonym. We take in, you take in food, it has to go out from somewhere in, in our physical bodies, Right? Right? Good food in, good out. Good thoughts in, submitted will, good emotions come out. And the mind, the mind, whatever we think in our minds through the initiation of, of wherever that thought comes from, Satan or, or through Christ the Word, the emotions have to pay for because the emotions have to pay for the content of thinking. You have good emotions? Yeah, it's because you had good thoughts. You have bad emotions? You had bad thoughts. Bad thoughts were not true about Christ, and they weren't true about who you are in him and his love. And then he says, I have set the Lord always before me. What's that mean? Does that have to do? Can I set him before me in a proper experience? First, if I don't know my position, and if I do, I don't submit my will to him, has the Lord been set before me? No, it's all the difficulties. It's everything that I see by sight. This is impossible. How are we going to do this? Like we can do anything apart from Christ in John 15, 1 to 5. This is impossible. That thing is impossible. I mean, what isn't impossible to us in the flesh that we don't try and figure out and make a plan for? And... Uh, so look what it says. I have always set the Lord before me because, thought of this thought this morning. Listen, the old, God is, God, is God it? Is he? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because him, he that comes to God, how do we come to him? In an unsubmitted will or a submitted will? He that comes to God, listen to what it says, must believe that he is. And what's that saying? God is the only cause, by the way. Did you know? He's the only cause. He's the only cause. How were the angels created? There had to be a first cause, right? That's right. How were all of us created? There had to be a cause. Christ in his pre-incarnate state created both. The Bible makes that clear in John 1.3. 
in Colossians 1 and verse 16. He created everything. He created the worlds in Hebrews 1, 3. He framed them and holds them together in Hebrews 11, 3. He created the angels, all of them. It was his cause to create them properly, but never apart from a will. They didn't, they didn't, at one point, that's what it says in Ezekiel 28, 15, Satan, Luther, he, was all, he was perfect, complete in all his ways of obedience till iniquity was found in him. And then at that point, he just became an evil effect. You know, when God's the cause, when he's our first cause and our continual cause, right? Because I have set the Lord before me because, right? I will always have a proper effect. If I don't, I have a bad effect. See, there's only good or bad effects, period, period. And we either submit or we resist. I have always, I have set the Lord always before me because the reality for the believer in Christ is he is at, he is at my right hand because that's where Christ sits and that's where we sit in him in our position. I will not be what? Moved. Moved. And here's that word again. We share this in the last couple of weeks. That Hebrew word, mot. M-O-W-T. Mot. And it's a primitive root. It's always true. To waver by implication. To slip. To shake. Do circumstances and situations shake your faith, your dependence on God? Do negative evil people, is he above all those things? Do do you and I get moved and removed and slipped and carried away in a course that's not of him but of decay, falling down and exceedingly fall and slide away from him? No. When he is at my right hand, proper thinking in who I am in Christ and who he is in me, in absolute control as Lord, over me, I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart, which is my mind, will experience what? The gladness that only comes from God and my glory, who's our our glory? Isn't it Jesus Christ? Do we have any glory in ourselves? No. But my glory rejoices. I rejoice in who I am in him. I rejoice in his thoughts. Circumstance, the situation comes, the negative people come against us. Romans 8.31, God for us, who against us? Does it even matter who's against us when God is for us? In Romans 8, verse 31, all the way to verse 39. But the enemy wants to separate us through an unsubmitted will as believers in Christ to have a rotten, terrible, ruined experience. Right? So, but what does he do? He, he doesn't want us. He wants us to be separated He knows he can't separate us. He knows he can't touch the position. He knows that even sin can't touch that relationship that's based upon a position. Sin can't even touch that relationship. But boy, can the experience interrupt the reality, the commonality, and the fellowship of it. He wants to separate us from that, from a proper experience, so that We don't glory in him. Instead, 
We, we murmur and complain about the circumstance, the situation, the negative people, and we become occupied with these and not him in Luke 19 and verse 13. But my glory rejoices, and then my body will what? What does it do here? It will dwell confidently in the hope that Christ is in me in Colossians 1, verse 27. You see that? So there is where we come. when, And this, this is why it's so necessary for us to submit our will so that we function experientially and that experience is based upon the reality of our position in Christ that nothing can truly touch. Again, 1 John 5, 18b, the wicked one touches us not. He can't touch the position, but when the position is my experiential reality, he can't touch me there. But he can when he can separate me through lies and projections through circumstances and situations and negative people becoming our guide and not the Holy Spirit in John 16 and verse 13. So because we need we, we are no match from him apart from constantly submitting to Christ. Because again, that word subtle, Aram, in, in Genesis 3, word, 1 from Aram, and literally it means to be made or make bare. What does that mean? He wants to make bare. Oh, there's no hope in this circumstance or situation. Excuse me, we have Christ in us. The hope of eternity, how much more in time? To be or make bare, he wants to make, oh, there's no hope. Not that circumstance, that situation, that negative people. But it's only this word, to be subtle, is only in the derivative sense. Do you see what makes it so important for us to submit our will? to Christ, because if we don't, we'll submit it to something else. We'll derive that, and we'll derive it from somewhere else, won't we? It's only in the derivative sense through the idea of smoothness. He's such a liar. He's so subtle, and he's so cunning, crafty, and sneaky, and he comes in. And someone wrote me a card, and I thought it was beautiful. They wrote him the card for me. They said, I just pray your whole life would be one, one continual experience of his unexpected grace. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa, that <laughs> came from God. His unexpected grace. Because if not, if it's not that unexpected grace that continually finds me out in a proper experience based upon a proper position, then the unexpected enemy through his subtlety will come in and remember in Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, when I saw him fall from heaven, it was as lightning. How quick is that? How quick will he come in when we don't hold the shield up? And holding the shield up, does that take a will of submission? Boy, we let it down just a little. In comes the fiery missile, the thought projection to get us to function. And we're going to function in whatever, in our experience, wherever we derive the, what is supposed to be that reality, a lie versus truth. So thank God, again, in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, that's, uh, that's Panagos, where Paul said, I fear lest the enemy, through his subtlety, would deceive you and lead you away from Christ. Christ, just like he did Eve, 
because he's always working. Listen to that. He is always working against and in opposition of hatred toward the will of God. Who is the will of God that fulfilled it? It's Christ. Who, is, who are you? You are in Christ. Who am I? I'm in Christ. Is Christ in it? He is all working constantly, waiting for our will not to be submitted to him. Again, remember now, remember now, God only holds us accountable to what we know in the light that our obedience, our love returned to him, is submitted to him. He'll cover us until the light comes on and exposes the other areas we're not aware of. But when the light comes on, with that light comes the grace that causes us to be responsible when our will submitted. But until then, he's always working. And remember from that word pas, P-A-S, it's all forms, every form that comes from him, which is a lie, is to cause us to decline, it's declension, to get further away in our experience, further away in reality. Oh, somehow God's not for me anymore. Why? Because the sight, me walking by sight, natural understanding of my circumstances and situations and these negative people, they're all against me. They're all against me. So now, but it's all forms of declension. All, any, every, the whole. What is that? When my will isn't submitted to Christ, Remember what God said about all of humans, all of creation apart from Christ, apart from all of those in type that went into the ark, the ark being the type of Christ, but all the rest, what? Their thoughts were what? In Genesis 6, 5 and 8, 21, they were only evil continuously. Listen, we get away from him. We get away from him. He causes us to think like him through a lie. And not only the thoughts are only evil continually, listen to what it says, but every purpose and every design is only what? Evil what? Continuously. He's always working that way. Oh, and so that word is pas, where we get panagos, and it's also ergon. And ergon is from ergo, and it means to work to toil, effort, and occupation. That's what our natural thinking is. It causes us to toil. Oh, you'll sleep good when you go to bed and worry at night about everything. You, when you worry about, your, what am I going to do now? Where are we going to go now? How is this going to work now? And we have Christ in us, and we trust by faith that he's already taken care of our eternity, and yet in time, now what? He would ever leave us or forsake us. Joshua 1.5, Hebrews 13.5. He'll never do it. So the enemy, through these thoughts, gets us to toil, to work, and efforts, and occupation versus rest. And as we close this morning, the reality is there is a rest which does work. There is. There is a rest which does work. And he who is our rest and has finished all, everything about us that we could never even do is our rest. And in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, you read Hebrews, the fourth chapter, start at verse one and go right to the end. You'll see that we do have that rest.
And that rest that we have is in Christ and being in God. We have that rest. We have rest. And he does the working. He works in us what he already worked out and finished about us. Did God, do we believe that God had a plan for us even before we were born? If you read Psalm 139 and you start at verse 7 and go right to the end of that psalm, you'll see he had a plan. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not evil so that you can experience my settled expected plan for you. That's what it says in the Hebrew. So all his plan is only based upon his thoughts. And somehow do I miss his plan? Yeah, through thinking thoughts that aren't his. Worry, doubt, fear, insecurity, all based upon pride and unsubmitted will experientially. So here, there is a rest. There is a rest which works. And a work based upon a finished work rest. He's bringing that out clearly like so many that unfortunately give in to the lie of the enemy in James, the second chapter, in verse 17, 20, and 26, will teach that faith, there is, you know, that to have faith, you have to work, you have to do something. It's not, that's not at all what it's teaching. Now, it's Philippians 2:12 and 13. This is what it says in Philippians 2:12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. You know, when we reverence God, there's no doubt, there's no fear, there's no worry. He's our all. We reverence him. Not what we see. Not based upon the lie that the enemy directs us to see things improperly. Circumstances, situations, people. And make them to be our guide. And then to believe that somehow that God has left us. (laughs) Well, there is a rest. Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your own salvation. That's your whole Christian life. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you both to what? Will and to do of his good pleasure. He does the doing in my will when I'm submitted to Christ who finished that will to God for me. And then I submit to him. And I do. And again, and we want to get into this at a future time, but we want to get into how, so that's what makes prayer so very important. We don't even pray properly without a submitted will. Otherwise, we just give fleshly desires, thoughts, and designs, and we pray and want God to meet those. And... uh, no wonder we, you know, we have to wait in Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The only thing that makes the heart sick is those, those fleshly desires, thoughts, and prayers. When we function in the flesh, that's in us, but that we're not of in Romans 8, 9. And then there's no answer, and we get disappointed, discouraged, and downcast. But are we in Christ already? Has he already finished everything about us? No, for it is God which works in you both to will when your will submitted. And now he does the doing in you in a proper experience. Amen? So, Father, thank you for your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.